For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hot Rod Lincoln. Welcome to the real episode 147 here on the Five to Go Racing Podcast on WSBRadio.com and GoPRN.com. Thanks to my employer, 95.5 WSB, and my other employer, Performance Racing Network, for making this happen. Doug Fireball Turnbull from the traffic team at 95.5 WSB. Uh, coming off a busy Labor Day weekend, by the way. The, the prelude to it Friday afternoon was just handing our butts to us with how bad traffic was. And then even Monday night, I had to step in and, and do a little bit of traffic there as uh, during a shift change time, and, and even then they managed to shut down a couple of three interstates. But in between all of the bedlam, saw one heck of a Darlington race, and Dan Elliott and I are going to discuss with you today why Darlington was good but could have been better. We'll also go through some of the silly season news, reports of NASCAR racing at the L.A. Coliseum, and the playoff implications from everything that have been going as well. Eric Von Hessler can't be with us today. He is off on of vacation. I will say on 95.5 WSB, they have instead of just putting on Eric's greatest hits, they actually, based upon their extra podcasting hours and some of their live events they've done, they've pieced together about 70% of this week for them being off the whole week is new content. So be sure to listen to the Von Hessler Doctrine daily, again, on 95.5 WSB or our website or the WSB radio app. And uh, and you can find it in the podcast spaces as well. So that they're off this week. We'll hope to have Eric back next week or so, although usually his first week's back. He's pretty busy, so we'll see how that happens. Sometime in the playoffs we'll give with our co-host, our co Eric Von Hessler. But the co-host who makes it happen every week, the master maker of speed at Dawsonville, is Dan the Man Elliott, who has had success at the old Darlington, has, has loved Darlington over the years, and has some things to say about the way Darlington has changed. And we welcome you to the show again, Dan. How you doing, buddy? Doing great. Hope everybody is doing the same. Miss Eric today, and uh, looking forward to him being back. And, um, yep, it was a uh, a good good weekend for racing. Uh, well, it sure was. And so we saw, first off, in the, uh, the, the, the Xfinity Series on Saturday, we saw Noah Gregson get his first win in over a year now. He went winless last season, I believe, in the number nine team, the team that he's returning to at Junior Motorsports, by the way. That had been in question. And Gregson survived some attrition there and, and is able to score that victory for Junior Motorsports and a little bit of a rebound race for Austin Sendrick and A.J. Allmendinger, who had, Sendrick had had a couple of bad weeks in a row. For the Truck Series, Sheldon Creed 2 for 2 in playoff races. Sheldon Creed wins Truck Series at Darlington. Their playoffs got underway even before the Cup Series did, which to me is kind of strange, I guess. But Sheldon Creed has suddenly woken up there, and instead of John Hunter Nemechek as the Truck Series all-on contender, and so he and Nemechek are definitely going to the second round of the Truck Series playoffs, whereas Chandler Smith and Austin Hill are below the cut line right now uh, for the Truck Series. They're going to have to make some big things happen here. But, Dan, the Cup Series gets gets added at Darlington. Martin Truex Jr. led something like, I think it was 75 85% of the laps when they raced there in the spring. Truex has been in a swoon lately. In fact, Truex... This is interesting. He got his last win at Darlington in May, and NASCAR in the 17 races since had run at all tracks that were not appearing in the playoffs. So here we come again, playoff time. Is the 19 team going to wake up? Well, they were up and down. They got trapped a lap down by having a, uh, some issues on pit road and, and, and pit strategy. They long pitted to kind of get themselves out of it. They had a late caution and gained the lead off of pit road, and finally were going to lead some laps, and then Truex sped on pit road, and that put him back again, but he ended up rebounding to finish inside the top 10. And then it comes down to Kyle Larson, who's won everything this year, versus Denny Hamlin, who's been consistent but won nothing this year. And he had won everything last year. And it's Denny Hamlin who wins Darlington. So, Dan, let's break it down. Before we drill into what happened to about half of the playoff field, had <laughs> a, a night they'd want to forget, Sunday night in the Southern 500, by the way. Let's call it that, the Southern 500. But, Dan, um, let's let's get down to just what your feeling was about the race Overall, you said it was a good weekend of racing, but I know there's maybe something more you desired coming out of it, I guess. 
Yeah, there was. I, I, you know, I'm I'm used to the old track. I'm used to the fact that the the old track, and and I am going back a long way more so than than anyone has been here or can remember. But I, I enjoyed the cars running the track per se, and and there was some of that element in this race. But the way the cars have changed, and and it's just the way the sport has evolved. And you can't take anything away from it, but just the fact that it weighed the way it has evolved and the way the racetrack has changed subtly over the years, it, it lends itself to good races. But but I, I look back at the ones that uh, in the in the 70s and the 80s as as really, really great races because the driver really did have to race the racetrack first. The all, all the focus, all the emphasis was on racing the racetrack and then dealing with traffic, dealing with competition as you got to it. So, okay, that, that, that's my question. So what is the difference? And I mean, I understand it's racing the racetrack, but like, what's the difference? Like what makes it me, now think, not as much as then? I think more so now is the aero dependence that the cars have. I think it goes back, as I said, to the evolution of racing, more so than what they've done to the racetrack. But you have to admit that the track has changed with some of the surface being redone, some of the track being redone. It it had a very, very distinct personality when it was when it was running back back in the day. And and that has subtly changed. And then, and then the cars have drastically changed. And you take away the fact that the horsepower of the cars has decreased a bit, and and the fact that the cars are so aero dependent, the tires are so much better. You have so much more. There, there's such a limit to it now that it's taken some of that away from the driver there, especially because. This is a little bit shorter racetrack than the cookie cutter tracks, but definitely does not take away any at all from the competition or the excitement when you go to Darlington. Love that racetrack. Well, for sure. And, and I still feel like Dan, and you know, again, I don't want to speak out of turn too badly here, but I still feel like they are racing the track, although they, they, they can, I mean, number one, there isn't as much consequence for getting out of line. It used to be, am I right about this? When you're racing the track, it's almost like you're driving a tightrope there, right? I mean, you're, you are, you, you are on the, you are on the limit every lap. And, and if you missed your mark just oh so slightly, if you missed that entrance into turn one, if, if you made a miscue in how you set a driver up to do a pice, because there were only a few places that you could successfully Pice on the old configuration, or or the the way the track used to be, and and now you have a little bit more margin, um, yeah, and and we're seeing since this race is now in the playoffs, Doug, I think that you have a lot more drivers that were a lot more aggressive we saw over the weekend than you normally see, and I think that lent itself to some of the action that we saw that we might not have seen otherwise. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I think, I think that, uh, the drivers were very aggressive too. And let's get into that too. So, well, we start out this race. You got Ryan Blaney starting up front on the benefit of having run, uh, having won Daytona and Michigan the week before that. And then you, you, so you get, you get into that. And, and, and Blaney leads about 18 laps or so, and it's not really a factor the rest of the night, but it's doing all right. But let's kind of go in order. So, uh, yeah, it, on an early caution, Eric Jones stays out on old tires and then starts falling through the pack. And although he never makes contact with Michael McDowell, McDowell is frisky there in that 34 car, having a storm from the back of the field, having finished last in Daytona the week before that. And he gets crossed up passing Eric Jones. And although, People could pass with less of a penalty, Dan, than in the old Darlington. Uh, Big Dowell got crossed up there trying to go under Jones and just took himself out. Outside wall, swapped ins, inside wall, done for the night. Back-to-back last place finishes there for McDowell. 
then then you're thinking, okay, this is a guy that had barely a whiff of a chance to even advance out of the first round and go to the round of 12. Anyway, oh, well, he's done, right? I mean, he's done. Well, then Alex Bowman scrapes the wall, then cuts a tire, and as he's hitting the wall, his teammate William Byron hits him. Suddenly, they both have damage, and Bowman had extensive damage and never could rebound or even get back on the lead lap for that. In fact, Alex Bowman and the 48 machine finished 26. William Byron struggled with the damage the rest of the night, even drove up near the top 10, but then he cuts a tire, a left front tire, and wrecks, I mean, spectacularly hard into one of the turns. He's done for the night. Right before William Byron does that, Kyle Busch, who had struggled, and again, I thought, Dan, he would be a contender. Kyle Busch, it looks like he gets spun by Austin Dillon, but really they never actually make hard contact. Bush even doesn't, it goes out of his way not to call Dillon out when he gets asked about that. Instead, drops a couple of S-bombs on TV. And Kyle Bush uh, crashes. His night's over with. And then as you go through the evening, you have Kevin Harvick had to make an unscheduled pit stop. I mentioned the travails of Martin Truex Jr. Uh, having some different issues through the race. He should have been a guy that I thought would have dominated the evening and, and never really got up to the front till the very end. Then he spent on pit road. Christopher Bell got damaged. Chase Elliott got damaged by the 53 cars tire <laughs> and, and, and battled through that, then drove himself into contention and then missed pit road, putting him back in the pack, which put him in the position to get race three wide and he got knocked into the wall. And, by, and then Ryan Blaney had issues with the brakes and spun out. And ended up finishing 22nd. So when it all boiled down to it, Truex and Harvick rebounded from their problems. And Christopher Bell ended up finishing 20th. Eric Almirola and Tyler Reddick, they were running inside the top 10. They faded as the night got cooler, I guess. And they faded toward the back of the top 20. And what you ended up having is, out of the top 10, there were 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 playoff drivers. And there were also... Nine playoff drivers that finished 16th or worse. So, Dan, I mean, how do you feel after this first race as far as what it did to the playoffs? I'm not looking at that just yet. We're too early into it. And I, and I know that that is the, the whole key to this is, you know, to me, it, it is so important to be able to win races. In, in this playoff deal, it is so important to win races. And and I look at this as to, um, I know that you had talked about your contenders for the playoffs and and how that's going to sift out, and, and we'll talk about that. But I, I look at that race as being, you know, I told you before this race that to me this was going to be a Hendrick weekend in the Cup Series, and it didn't miss it by far. And I'll tell you my thoughts as to the only reason why it ended up being Hamlin. Did you watch any of the Xfinity race? Oh man! Oh my gosh! Yeah, he he yeah he did work. Yeah, Hamlin Hamlin had that deal had that situation well in hand in the Xfinity race, and then uh, you remember the uh, they had a tire sitting on pit road. Uncontrolled the tire. car ever got, yeah, it, and, and it was a left side tire, which makes no sense at all why it was even sitting on pit road. Yeah, I was holding it there at the wall. That's, that's not the issue, but why it was even over the wall at that particular point in time, I don't know. But fact of the matter being is that if Hamlin hadn't run that race, to me, I feel like that his chances of winning the cup race would definitely have, may have been altered somewhat. He still may have won, even if he didn't compete in the Xfinity race. But I feel like the advantage was that he had that, that time to be able to prepare for Sunday. And, and he knew what he had to do. He knew the uh, fact that, that these cars were going to fall off and, and that, that the, the whole key to this was staying clean. Uh, that's a good point. This is usually the only Xfinity race just about every year that Hamlin runs is Darlington. He it's his yeah. favorite track, yeah. and and you got to wonder when you're Gibbs. So you're running out of opportunities to start letting Cup drivers run Xfinity races because when, once their playoff starts, Cup drivers aren't allowed to run. So you got to wonder if you're Gibbs how you parse those out. Yeah, Christopher Bell a few weeks ago win New Hampshire. You've had Kyle Busch. 
already run his allotment of races this year during the, and that was all, of course, during the regular season. And he, he won what four out of five or something. Yeah. He, he just destroyed the field. You got to wonder how Joe Gibbs part, you know, spaces those out to allow his cup drivers that are in the playoffs, which by the way is all of them <laughs> to, to be able to run, you know, and, and by the way, don't forget Truex. So that's a good point. Yep. Uh, yeah. Hamlin, I feel like that was a big advantage, big advantage for him to run that Xfinity race. And he ran extremely well, and I feel like that he would have won both races had that mishap not occurred on pit road. He was fun to watch on Saturday's race for sure. By the way, the reason we had a doubleheader Sunday, I enjoyed that, by the way, the trucks that ran early in the afternoon and the cup cars with a 618 green flag, which, by the way, if it's a night race, I'm digging a 6 p.m. instead of an 8 p.m. green flag, just saying. But the reason we had that is because the Mo Sport, Canadian Tire Motorsports Park race for the truck series, it, they were not able to run because of COVID. So that was moved to Darlington, and just the way it stacked up, they needed to. It was, it, they didn't make the schedule out initially with there being a doubleheader in the same track that day. The trucks were supposed to run earlier in the day at the different track, as they've done for years, running Labor Day weekend at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. Second year in a row, they do not make it to that track, though. So that's that's why that happened. But with the Cup Series, the way things shake out with the points is instead of it being, oh, man, you know, there are people that are predicted all 400 cars going to be in the championship four, and that could still happen. But we kind of forget how close everybody is. And with three of the four really having some big problems there on Sunday night, you're running into a situation now where the four drivers below the cut line are Alex Bowman, Kyle Busch, William Byron, Michael McDowell. So two of those are Hendrick cars. Bowman and Reddick are actually tied for the 12th position in points, but the way the tiebreakers work is the highest finish in the round. And, of course, Bowman with the bad finish Sunday. So far, Tyler Reddick had a better finish than him, so technically Bowman is the one below the cut line. To me, though, Dan, it'd be easy to chase and say, oh, my God, Chase Elliott's in trouble, or oh, my gosh, Kyle Busch is in trouble. But, Dan, don't you think that since so many people had issues we're really almost back where we started, which is Kyle Larson has a big points lead and everybody else is pretty close. Yeah, and I'm like Shakespeare, much ado about nothing. Um, <laughs> you're you're getting in you're getting into this to where that there is too much emphasis right now, and I don't know if a lot of the pressure from the weekend wasn't self-inflicted by some of the drivers, but. Yeah, but I still feel like we're getting into the deal to where that you basically it is Hendrick versus Gibbs with two wild cards, if if you may, and the wild cards being either Penske or Stuart Haas, one or the other, and and that to me, in a nutshell, is is where I'm leaning to with still the fact that Hendrick's dominance during the before the midpoint on and 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 I know I've beat that dead horse but but you still can't deny that that even with the fact that Hendrick's drivers had trouble um this past weekend you knew they were there or you were getting ready to know they were they were there and and uh, definitely don't want to give up anything on Gibbs because his organization is the only one right now to me, to me that has shown the strength to be able to yeah. head to head with Hendrick in these playoff races. So far, so far yeah, we've only sure. had one too early, no, too early great. in the deal. That's a great point. Yeah, it really does seem to be the title has to go as we. Sam, when we tried to record last week, and then it didn't save there, Dan, <laughs> by the way. Sorry we didn't have episode 147 a week ago, y'all, but had some issues there. But as we said then, the title feels like 100% it's going to have to go through Hendrick or Gibbs. I, 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 there's just no way that they're going to have a, a total of eight race but, teams but laid we're, down. But we're not saying that's the way it's going to happen. You, you've got wild cards that come into play that definitely are going to upset the apple cart if they can have their way in any shape or form of, of doing this. Oh, for sure, for sure. Great point there. Hey, one last thing about this race before we go next week to Richmond. And Richmond has not been the the barn burner it used to be. The the cars, I guess, so stuck to the track or having different packages there. It's, it's lent itself to long green flag runs, something we didn't see a lot of at Darlington. But one last piece about Darlington, Dan, that move at the end. Kyle Larson versus Denny Hamlin. You and I had an interesting discussion about that before we 
got going recording today. What did you think about how the race played at the very finish there? What were you surprised to see? Not a thing, because if I'd have been Kyle Larson, I was already thinking in my mind, if I'm sitting back there, and, and this is where I think the 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 announcers, the race announcers, they made this deal a whole lot more exciting than than if you were there watching or if you had a a um a good perspective of what was going on because Larson was so far back that that to think in a couple of laps he's gonna be able to run Denny down and once he does run him down get by him I think the I think what he did was the only thing in my mind that he could have done to even get close and the fact that he was able to do what he did and and not wreck Hamlin just absolutely blows my mind because his closing rate on him was was so feist and and just like somebody asked me why is Larson's car smoking on the right side I said because he's burned it up against the wall before oh, yeah. before he got to Hamlin and and he was he was actually rim riding against the wall and using that to be able to turn the car because basically he didn't back off at the end of the straightaway he right. just brake trained on and as and and like Hamlin said when the race was over Hamlin knew what was getting ready to happen and and whether he was told this by the spotters or whether he knew that something like that would would be uh, would be something that you'd have to deal with. Hamlin said that the only way he was going to get by me was to go through me. Yeah, no, no. I mean, that, that was two guys at the top of their game laying it all on the line right yep. there, trying to kind of outthink each other in a way. You know, hey, hey, I guess Larson knew he wasn't going to catch him on raw speed. I've got a zig when he zags, and I'm going to be more aggressive than he expects me to be and go up top. And Hamlin just Hamlin, who was making a conservative last lap, he said. So realized that was coming and just stayed up in that high line there. Didn't ever give it to Larson, despite the despite what the consequences could have been. That finish reminded us, Dan, of a couple of things. It reminded us of Carl Edwards, Jimmy Johnson in 2008, where Edwards making a last-ditch run there in turn number three and four to just dive as low as he could in the turn, as deep as he could, and not back off and try to use the side of Johnson to make him turn. And he, and he gets in front of Johnson, like, but then Johnson just does the quick crossover and gets right under him because obviously yep. <laughs> Edwards wasn't going to exit the corner then. Another finish it reminded me of initially was that finish in the Xfinity series in Iowa in 2011, where it's at Ricky Stenhouse leading and Edwards closing in and Stenhouse's engine blows and his teammate at Roush, Edwards just careens right into the back of him and, and just pushes him up on two wheels across the start finish line. I don't know if you remember that one or not. That 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 to me was a wild yep. one too. So, uh, yeah, fun to it's, see. it's interesting. But you know, Doug, it's it's kind of like this. We we've talked about these cars, and no, nobody realizes how fragile these cars are. And when you get in, and and you, the old Darlington, you used to be able to rub the wall. You used to be able to rub other cars. You'd go in for a pit stop. You would bang a fender out, bang a quarter panel out, go back out, tape up the front end, whatever you had to do, and still be in contention to win. And now that's just not even practical anymore because you do any cosmetic damage whatsoever, and you, for the most part, taken yourself out of contention to be a win, to win that race. And I'm not saying that that's always the case, but 99 times out of 100, you do anything arrow-wise to hurt your car, and, and you have taken yourself out of the win situation. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Although we did see, I mean, drivers could get away with, with kissing the wall a little bit there, but the, the line around the track, you just didn't see drivers getting the Darlington stripe anymore. I mean, it, there are ways for the cars to handle in other lanes. Denny Hamlin, actually, for as fast as he was, seemed to me to be the driver that was doing this the most of really angling his car to almost point in the center of the track off of the corner instead of running the the high wire act, so to speak. Yep. And, and he was really, I mean, to me, watching him with precision Saturday and Sunday make the moves he made, and he and he would only go high when he needed to, that that was interesting to me for sure. Because the old days, like you said, right, it's, 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 it's high or die in the tight turns, correct? That was the only lane. 
it was yeah. a high lane or nothing. And you ran so close to the wall for so many laps that if you made the slightest of errors in judgment, then you did damage to the car, which the car then was a little bit more, um, I'm not going to say forgiving. Let's just say it was a little bit more battleship ready to be able to do the stripe. And even the ones that did the stripe this past weekend, you know, you and I both know that, that even though they still didn't kill a race car, they weren't the ones up front vying for the win. Yeah, for sure. Hey, w- one other piece. I know I said that was the last item from this weekend. There were some drivers that just had excellent runs. We can't go any further than Ross Chastain. He ended up finishing third. How dare he finish third amongst these playoff drivers? No, Ross Chastain was in the mix for the win, too. And he couldn't get his car going on restarts. He never really had the race in his control there. And what I like about him, Dan, is when he was asked about what would it take to have gone up there and gotten those guys after the race, he said it would have taken a better driver. And he, and he still is very aware of his weaknesses and is very open about that instead of just, oh, my car sucks, I'm great, which is what we hear some others say, right? But Kyle Larson had a great one. Chris Buescher snuck into the top ten. Austin Dillon. Heck, Cole Custer hit the wall in the middle of the race. He finished 11th. Ryan Priest was running in the top 10, faded to 12th. Daniel Suarez was 13th. And again, some of this is because of attrition when you lose playoff drivers. Guys that run 17th suddenly run 13th. I get it. Corey LaJoy, Dan. Corey LaJoy, back-to-back weeks in the middle of the discussion, in the middle of the top 10 there, had run as high as about 6. He ended up finishing 15th. So it was good, Dan, to see. I just think it takes more tracks like this that have tire wear, they're maybe a little bit shorter. You've got the difference in horsepower. This is a 750 package, not the wide open, everybody running slot cars, 550 package. And suddenly, what do you know? I mean, you go from a track like Daytona where it's almost anybody can win and you're up and down all the time to this one where people burn their stuff up and fade. Other ones, you know, manage their tires or pitch strategy and gain spots. And what do you know? You have three, four, six drivers that are in the mix that aren't usually. Yeah, yeah, you've got several factors going on that that made for a good night of racing. And number one was you had to be aware of power management. You had to be aware of car management. You also had to be aware of the close rate between cars that had been in and gotten four new tires versus cars on old tires. The close rate on these cars, how quickly you catch the car in front of you, how quickly you run up on somebody makes a huge difference in judgment of whether you do a clean pipe or whether you get slight damage or, as in Kyle Bush's case, a lot of damage. Oh, gosh, yeah, and just wiped out in his case there. A driver that struggled mm-hmm. all night ended up in the top ten, Brad Keselowski. I was sitting there thinking, man, he, he really is looking like a lame duck driver at Penske running 16th all night, but he manages to finish seventh after everything. Joey Logano actually faded to eighth at the end. He was in the top five in the last stage at one point. And it's really hard for me to say, you know, who's really going to rise to the occasion here. But just seeing seeing what we saw at Darlington, it seems like it's almost anybody's it's almost anybody's playoffs. I don't want to say championship, but almost anybody's playoffs. I want, to, I want another couple items to button up from Sunday as we keep talking to get the juices flowing here. Uh, number one, Cody Ware. So the Rick Ware cars had two or three of their entries wreck again back-to-back weeks. That's not good for a team that's managing costs, a team that's managing, uh, you know, just going out and they're running a budget race. And, and so they had Joey Gase, or sorry, James Davison wreck, and then and Cody Ware spins because of that. That managed to have Cody Ware cut a tire. And when that happens, you know, Dan, the integrity of some of the things in the cars could be as such when you have that tire whipping around in there that it can allow fumes to get inside the car. And Cody Ware actually went to the infield care center for an extended time with what was believed to be carbon monoxide poisoning. He actually drove to the garage himself and said, dude, I'm cross-eyed in here. I could, I'm about to pass out. And so that that's concerning. And the new car, by the way, the next-gen car, which Austin Cindric drove as a pace lap in front of the field on Sunday night, the new car is even more sealed off than the old one. So that's concerning to me. The uh, The second item, too, is that Kyle Busch, after cashing in his race car, stormed into the garage really fast, drove right into the garage entrance. People were ducking out of the way. He ran over some cones, actually picked up a cone on his splitter, and drove it all the way to his garage stall there. 
And I'm just wondering, Dan, I mean, you've seen driver conduct put people in danger. I mean, flesh versus metal, there is no battle there. Uh, did you deal with anything as aggression motorsports part general manager that was akin to that? And also, do you think Kyle Busch should face any more recourse for doing what he did? I think that, yeah, we saw it at Gresham. We definitely did. And and you addressed that. Uh, actually, I, I let um, uh, the trooper always address that <laughs> um, I, after go. those incidences. Yeah, I let the trooper address that because that's something that that you just as a as somebody working in you just don't expect any of this and you know from from being in this environment there is no reason for this you you just and and if this is the way that you choose to act then you need to go somewhere else because it endangers too many people's lives too much at risk and and I surely you know you you put yourself in some situations sometimes and and you you do that yourself, but when you're in an environment and it's out of your control and other people put you in that situation, no, but um let the trooper take care of it and and we went on, but yeah, I expect something to come out of this, and I'm gonna be disappointed if it doesn't because you're you're putting a lot of people in danger that 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 don't ask for this. Oh, for sure. And I mean, I think that, uh, 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 excuse me, Scott Miller. So I almost said Robin Miller, rest in peace, Robin Miller, by the way, but Scott Miller, the, uh, one of the executives there at NASCAR, he pretty much said that they're, they're still discussing how they're going to address it with Kyle Busch. They don't expect there to be a points penalty or anything like that. And that's despite also dropping a couple of S bombs on TV, but he did it on cable. That's a little more permissive environment than when Dale Jr. famously dropped the Talladega Victory Lane S-bomb on NBC and lost 25 points there. So, uh, Kyle, not a good night there. And I, you know, you, you've seen him and, and his brother Kurt in the past, by the way, have those psychological kind of meltdowns or what, as it looks to us. And I could think of a couple of times in the playoffs where Kyle just fell off the wheels, but, you know, when, when performance didn't go right and, and, uh, and it affect the rest of his playoff run. So, I think that's uh well, you and I both works. know you and I both know Doug we all have those days. We all oh, sure. have those days. And sure. and and thing about it is is we try to do it to where that if we do have those days it's us that it's accountable for us and that we try not to involve other people in our road rage days. So um we we try to let this stuff pass and and that's kind of the way I look at it, you know, a little bit of road rage there. And uh, you're in the car, and everybody else is on foot, and and that doesn't lend itself to be a good outcome. I I, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. So okay, we we've we've digested Darlington three to me very quality races there, and there's always more we can discuss. NASCAR has gone through a period. I mean, three straight races in the Cup Series, Michigan. Daytona, all the drama of the regular season, and is a new is somebody outside the points going to win or somebody? I mean, the Daytona left my excitement meter pegged. Darlington, I mean, that race is more of a grind. It's 500 miles at a slower track than Daytona, but there was so much up and down. I I felt saturated the whole night. You can ask my wife Momo. I mean, I'm sitting there, I'm holding the side of my head watching this race, and you know, just like on the edge of my seat, going, oh my God, I have no idea what's going to happen. I kept explaining to Momo all the things the different teams are going through, and she just got this gloss-eyed look, try, trying to be engaged. She's like, Doug, I really, you know, that's your thing. <laughs> but, but, and then we go forward to Richmond and Bristol, and it profiles, I mean, maybe not Richmond as much lately, but certainly Bristol to really come down to a lot. Having Bristol as a round, Bristol as a round-ending race and a night race in September instead of August. That's that's going to be cool. But, Dan, let's go uh, look forward to a story that, although hasn't been confirmed by NASCAR, is something that's making its circulation, and that's that uh, for next season, we are on the advent of having the next-gen car, although the schedule is not out yet, and there's been no real updates on the next-gen car. They are going to test it this week at Daytona. In fact, I think today or tomorrow as we record. But, uh, but uh, the Something interesting about the clash has come out. Jordan Bianchi, who broke the story of Kurt Busch going to 2311 racing months ago, and that finally got confirmed within the last week. Jordan Bianchi has 
heard from sources that NASCAR is going to run the clash, potentially starting 2022, inside a makeshift track inside the L.A. Coliseum, a coliseum that currently hosts USC football games and has done other big sporting events in the past, and two or three different Olympics, or two, at least two Olympics. Boy, Dan, that, that seems to me out of nowhere, even though we've heard rumors about the Coliseum being used a little bit this season, I... What, how does that sit with you? What is your first thought of an exhibition race two weeks before the Daytona 500 all the way on the West Coast in the middle of an offseason, essentially, or the, the end of an offseason? How, how does that kind of sit with you? What are your initial reactions? doesn't surprise me any at all because what do you think of when you think of a coliseum? I think about the gladiators and fighting to the death and the whole thing. Huh. So um, I'm, I'm thinking – uh, this is the NASCAR minds at work, and they have never ceased to amaze me year after year on the things that they can put together. And whether it comes to pace or not, it's a great story. Well, that yeah, it, it is going to be quite the story, too. I, I just wonder, though, I mean, if, if you've got Auto Club Speedway supposedly being turned into a short track by next or by 2023, I should say. And I mean, what's what are we doing this short track thing, a makeshift short track in the L.A. Coliseum that's probably going to be a quarter mile like Bowman Gray Stadium? I mean, here, here's my question. We I know NASCAR is all about getting in different markets and all that, but don't you think that if NASCAR were just to drive up the road to Winston-Salem and race at Bowman Gray Stadium, they they would get as much, if not more, excitement from the fan base and more as much, if not more, ratings than having people truck across the country to jump cars in an exhibition race? Well, maybe they want this close to Hollywood to where that it can, it can, um, can rally the same kind of exposure and excitement and entertainment value as Hollywood's been able to produce. Maybe it's about the entertainment value, uh, not necessarily about the racing value because, uh, am I going to book a trip to LA to see this? Probably not, but uh doesn't mean that millions of other people might. Well, it, that's true. I know, or, or hope, if they're able to get millions in that Coliseum, that'd be interesting to be at. Or maybe they're just going to try to attract. But what does this say about the future Auto Club Speedway, which has been rumored to have a questionable future, right? I mean, if, if you're making a short track race out there in a place yeah, where you're already. Yeah, but. D- yeah. Doug, I look at this as with the Gen 7 car, I look at a lot of tracks that's going to follow suit on doing probably what Atlanta has done and what other tracks, <laughs> excuse me, with, with Indy doing a little bit more road course with, with, uh, Circuit of America's. Um, I, I just look at the future of this and you were talking about the car, the Gen 7 car being sealed up more. But if you run in inclement weather, these cars are going to have to be sealed up more. So you you catch the gist of where this is all going anyway. So we're we're in the NASCAR mind. We're going in many many directions, and in, in what I think we see as a future, and and I know that that this will get narrowed in, get honed in as we get get further down the road. But as of right now. I can I can see the mind going in many directions as to the possibilities of they're endless in what can be done in the next years to come. Uh, well, yeah, that, that's a great point, and it could change from year to year instead of having legacy races. It will right? change. Yeah. yeah, it will change from year to year. This is the new NASCAR, and and don't bank on anything that has been tradition. Or if it has been tradition, it's just because it fits in to the new grand plan and, and it fits that scenario really, really well. But don't look for anything to remain the same in the next years to come. Uh, great points there, Dan. Great points. All right, let's have a look at silly season here real fast. Uh, some stuff that's come out over the last two weeks or so. I mentioned Noah Gregson returning to junior motorsports. That takes him out of the conversation of popping up and maybe driving the second Spire car in the Cup Series or uh, any other open affiliations there. We still don't know. They haven't heard any, uh, really to me, even an inkling of a rumor about Ryan Newman, Matt Benedetto, 
Uh, we don't know the status of either of the front row motorsports drivers as that team is rumored to be working in alliance with 2311 Racing. So 2311 could get one charter, which would go to Kurt Busch, who just officially signed with that team to drive car number 45. We also saw NASCAR for sure is moving the numbers forward on the race cars starting next year instead of in the center of the doors. We heard Starcom Racing, though they haven't officially officially announced it. Starcom Racing is reportedly selling its only charter and going to shut down its team at the end of the year. That's the team that Quinn Huff has dr- driven for the last couple of seasons. They've been around actually since 2018, Starcom or 2017, I should say. Starcom Racing has Derek Cope, part owner of that team. Where does that charter go? It reportedly goes to Spire Motorsports, which did own three charters. It sold two of them to Colleg Racing. Now one of Starcom Racing's charters, or its only charter, goes over to uh, Spire Motorsports again, so presumably they'll be fielding two cars or maybe just looking for another buyer on that charter. Who knows? And we don't know who's going to drive the second colleague racing car. We don't know who's going to drive the GMS racing part-time or, or set of drivers or however they do it, entry in the Cup Series next season. Still a lot to be decided. We don't know, for instance, where the uh, the championship points leader in trucks right now, Sheldon Creed, is going to race next year. He hasn't announced his plans, and he seems to be someone that's going to be making an ascension through the ranks. And then Joe Gibbs Racing in the Xfinity Series. They have a, a, at least two, if not three, cars up for grabs there. We don't know where Daniel Hemrick goes. We Harrison Burton's vacating the 20 car. Presumably Ty Gibbs gets plugged in there. And then do they still run that all-star car, number 54, next season? So lots to be decided in the silly season. Lots more questions than answers. And that leaves me, Dan, to see into Formula One silly season, which is, this is big because I want to start with this because you have a personal experience with this driver and I'd like you to tell a story about them again, if you don't mind. But Kimi Raikkonen, the Iceman, 41 years old, I believe, announced for sure that he is retiring from Formula One after the conclusion of this season from the Alfa Romeo racing team. He's the 2007 world champion. He's won races with several different teams over the years, and he's going to retire there from Alfa Romeo. With that, with that seat opening up and all the, the hubbub talked about, will Valtteri Bottas remain with Mercedes? That was confirmed. Well, the last two mornings, essentially, Valtteri Bottas out of Mercedes, George Russell from Williams in at Mercedes, and Valtteri Bottas joining Alfa Romeo in place of Kimi Raikkonen. So there's a Williams seat open. Valtteri Bottas gone for Mercedes, George Russell gone to Mercedes, and there's your Formula One silly season recap right there. It's with still an open Williams seat to go and maybe some other drivers up in the air as well. By the way, Kimi Raikkonen, Dan, missed this past weekend's Formula One race in Holland in the Netherlands that was won by Max Verstappen over Lewis Hamilton. Kimi Raikkonen misses the race because he tests positive for COVID-19. So that's really unfortunate to have that back up his retirement announcement there. But Dan... We got to talk about Kimi Raikkonen and his foray into stock cars and your intersection with that at Gresham Motorsports Park, one of my favorite all-time racing stories. Yeah, I love the picture that I've got with Kimi, and uh, at that time, he had just come off of his, I think, his championship win, and I think that was yeah. only worth about $50 million, I think, was, was what that was worth at the time, but sitting yeah. in the office up there, and, and I had walked to the door of my office, and this young kid comes walking in and he's got, um, he looks like, looks like your beach shorts you'd wear come to about the knees and pair of tennis shoes. And, and he didn't look like he's 20 years old. And it looks like the question going to come out of his mouth. I'm thinking, where's his skateboard at? And, ah. and it looks like, you know, where's, where's the skate park at? But he comes into the offices there and, uh, he says, uh, hey, I'm Kimmy Raikkonen, and uh, when my masseuse gets here, just send them down, down to the infield when they get here. And uh. walks out the door. And, uh. and I'm thinking, this is, this is, this is something I never in, encountered in my career, and uh, something I really didn't count on that day either was, was having your own personal masseuse come in and, and give you a massage. And I'm thinking, I wonder if he'd let me experience that massage after he gets done. That is hilarious. It's uh, what, what's funny to me is that it was actually Kimmy himself. That yes, himself. They came over. I, I just, I just think that's that's really wild. So, uh, Kimmy Raikkonen, by the way, for all the buzz that he drew, similar to how Ricky Carmichael did, he was in the booth, by the way, for the truck race. The, the other day, he did a decent job. He needs to learn the drivers a little more. But okay, but you know, for all the 
he, he, Kimi Räikkönen drew more buzz than the other crossovers that we've seen because, you know, a lot of them have been domestic. So when Travis Pastrana makes the big move about 10 years ago to start looking at stock cars, Ricky Carmichael in kind of the 2009 and 10 era, Kimi Räikkönen did the same in 2011. Less than, you know, less than four years removed from that world championship in 07. Kimi Räikkönen quits Formula One to go explore the world. And for all the hubbub, he only ran two races in stock cars. He ran an Xfinity race and a truck race of the same weekend at Charlotte in 2011 with finishes of 15th in trucks, 27th in Xfinity. And in, tr- and in Xfinity, by the way, he I think I remember him hitting the wall in that race. That's part of the reason why he finished down in that. But I think that's amazing that he came there to test Aggression Motorsports Park and needed a masseuse and to have them go down to the infield. Do you remember anything about the test? Did he run competitively? I mean, at all? He did. He did. He ran pretty good. And considering the fact that um, I think this was probably one of the first tests he had ever done in anything other than F1 that I was aware of. And he did extremely well. And did most of the drivers that came there and tested though did extremely well but but none seemed to have really adapted really really well to the heavier cars and i don't know what it is about that you know montoya was the same way he did he did probably the best but he also stayed in it the longest and to me had a little bit better backing to be able to stay in it longer, but uh, he seemed to do very well at it. And um, but but you've got drivers that come in that that take to it pretty well, and then you've got others that that really do have trouble adapting to these cars. And and the fact that they're so heavy, and you've got to manhandle them instead of finessing them, and that's changed somewhat over the years. But but the fact that you did have to manhandle these cars. Uh, it, it was quite a transition to come from those cars to the NASCAR uh, type cars. That, that that was a hard transition to make. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, it, it's I, I'm really surprised that he didn't try to stick with it more after those two races. I don't really know the story of how that fell apart, but he took two years off from Formula One to Kimi Raikkonen in, in 2010 and 11, and he still managed to come back and join. Formula One in uh, in 2012, and he won races at 12, 13, and 18, and and then you know and then after leaving Ferrari or however that transpired, right after leaving Ferrari, you know he was he did not have great success at Alfa Romeo, which is kind of understandable there, back of the grid team there. But cheers to Kimi Raikkonen and your hilarious story, Aggression Motorsports Park. I, I got to say that still. Was a- but it was a, the good thing was it was a true story. Thing about it was you can't make this stuff up, and and it was just a, you know, just just being there was icing on the cake, and and being a part of that, and and to me, um, him even coming to Gresham to test, what an honor this was for me. Yeah. For a lot of the drivers, Doug, that came to that track, what an honor it was for me, and especially for Jim building that facility it it was really a, a credit to everything that was done and the people that worked there that these people came and tested there chose to come there and and i'm deeply honored i think that there's going to be more of that crossover especially drivers that that get cycled out of formula one there we're going to see more of them in the states we've already seen remain Grosjean and with success marcus erickson in, in indycar and I just got to feel like over these next few years, and with Formula One's profile raising, uh, with the, with the Drive to Survive Netflix series, it just seems like it's gained a little more traction. That it's going to make F1 drivers more attractive to American racing operations, and maybe America more attractive to displaced or retired or whichever Formula One drivers. So, uh, but I'm I'm glad that it, that Kimmy maybe broke that barrier a little bit, and something that we hadn't seen a whole lot of crossover from those two. I you know and in a lot of years so very cool very cool any parting shots for you dan there as we suit up and get ready for richmond next weekend now that was about as uh a strange a day as when kurt bush showed up for a test with penske and then ron white comes in and spends the day with kurt bush that was an what? exciting day also 
<laughs> what was the occasion there? Was that was that a natural pairing? Was that a sponsorship thing or what? Rod White, that's Rod Taylor, Shallon White. That's a, yeah, that's a very good question because I would not have suspected that in the least. But uh, Ron White and Kurt Busch. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, that was uh, that, that was that's quite the pairing right there. That's a lot of f bombs. <laughs> I don't know. Not going there. So everybody uh, just have a great week. I hope you had a good holiday. Hey, for sure. Well, folks, uh, thank you all for listening to Five to Go. Uh, parting shot for me. I just got to say, I I felt great about the trajectory or the momentum of just the last recent races in the Cup Series after what was really a disastrous result on the Indy Road Course to see Michigan play out the exciting way it did and some of that contrived excitement with the 550 package to see Daytona play out as it did just about as dramatically as could be expected there and then to have the, the Darlington be just an old-fashioned rock and sockum race there right up to the very end. I'm, I'm happy for the trajectory of the sport, and I just hope the decision-making falls in line with the good results we've seen and rewards the kind of racing that is uh, that deserves to be because tracks like Darlington rewarded us, the race fan, with quite the experience. So thank you, everybody, for joining in, and uh, we'll wish cheers to Eric Von Hessler on his vacation. Dan, thank you for being so gracious with your time, and we'll be back very soon with five to go. Dan, appreciate you, bud. So, folks, that's it. Five to Go Racing Podcast right here. WSRadio.com, GoPRN.com. Go to the Five to Go Racing Facebook page there, and you can see all of our latest episodes. And I don't know, maybe I could conjure up Dan to find that Kimi Raikkonen picture. We'll post it there or something if he, if he wants that and try it forever in cyberspace, all right? <laughs> so there you go, folks. Thank you all so much for tuning in and listening to Five to Go. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.